see everyone this morning. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm going to make my best effort to get through the 8th chapter of the book of John this morning. And uh, Lord willing, if I do that, then uh, Brother Paul will take over next week for uh, chapter 9. Uh, we had uh, we spent, for those of you who haven't been with us, uh, we've spent the last uh, uh, couple of weeks on the, the eighth chapter. So this is, this is our third wor- week. We're down to about verses uh, 25, 26, 27, right along in there. We actually had a little discussion about those verses uh, uh, last week. So we'll just recap a little bit and move on since we have a, a lot of ground to cover. But... Uh, In this portion of Scripture, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. They are challenging Him. They are doing their very best that they can to try to discredit Him, to to have some sort of impact, negative impact on His influence with the people. And so He has answered everything that they've thrown at Him. And so as we come to verse 25, they finally kind of back off and they say, Who are you? And then it says, And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say to you concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke of the Father. And so there in verse 27 is kind of a commentary from, from John. He, 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 he moves from the dialogue to that, that point, making the point that that they really didn't know who, who he was. Uh, and, and, of course, we, we pointed out last week that they didn't really need to ask that, that Jesus had repeatedly told him who he was. He, he told them he was the Son of the Heavenly Father, uh, the living water, the light, the light of the world, the bread of life, the way to heaven. He, he, there, there should be no doubt in their minds as to who he is. So really their question is kind of you know, not sincere. Uh, they, they knew exactly who he was. And, and, and he tells them in his answer that, that he is from God, that, that he is the one who, who, who speaks for God. Who are you? I'm the one who speaks for God. So here yet again, Jesus is, is pointing out to them his divinity. So in verse 27 uh, uh, is that editorial comment that, that John throws in there. And eventually... When they crucified him, their their eyes would be opened, and and they they would know after it was too late that yes, he was the Christ. Verses 28, 29, and thirty. And Jesus said to them, "When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will will you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those." those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. So Jesus is telling them that, that this is going to be absolute positive proof. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm from God. You're going to see that I'm from God. Uh, when you see, see my death and my burial and my resurrection, you'll know that I'm, that I'm from God. Verse 29, And He sent me... And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So uh, if you're uh, looking at Brother Massalongo's website, seeing the videos there, uh, you know, uh, Brother Massalongo makes the point that what Jesus is really 
kind of saying right here is, I'm perfect. And, and I would ask you, just like Brother Masalongo says, uh, can we say that? I can't say that. You know, you, I, I, I would venture that you can't say that either. That, uh, uh, but, but Jesus can. Uh, his answer is to them that uh, I'm, I'm sent from God, and, and you know what else? I'm perfect, and I always do what pleases God. Can you say that in your life? Do you always do what pleases God? The great lesson here that we read uh, is that Jesus' personal goal in life was to please God. Everything he did in his life was to please God. And again, I would ask you to just you know, kind of reflect on yourself and ask yourself that same question. In verse 30, we, really, we read that some listening to him actually opened their minds uh, and honest hearts found his words convincing, and they believed on him. Uh, but yet in subsequent verses, uh, we read that, that their faith was frail, and that they reverted back to their, to their former state of doubt and questioning. Uh, in fact, the fact of his being from above and, and, and not of this world would be confirmed in his death, uh, as, just like he talked about there in verse 28, uh, uh, when he said he would be lifted up, uh, or when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, uh, and, and I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And being lifted up, he identifies himself as the suffering servant uh, of the prophecies uh, of the coming Messiah. Uh, the claim, I am He, refers back to the contrast between them and, and he that was, exp- that, that was explained back in verse 23 that we talked about last week, the, the resurrection which followed, uh, uh, followed him being lifted up would be confirmation to the witness that he was not of this world, that, that, that he indeed was from above. So now we come to verse uh, 31. I'll read verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. In verse 32, one of those verses that I, I would think that you know, most everybody has heard and remembers, kind of like John 3.16. Uh, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Um, it's kind of always amazed me. I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent a little bit. Uh, the way that uh, different people you hear quote this verse, use it, uh, and the variations of it that you hear. Um, we lived over in Georgia for quite a while. There was a politician over there who recently passed away, uh, 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 one of the congressmen. And uh, so living over there and watching the local news over there, uh, you, you would see this fellow quite often, more often than, than we would over here or anywhere else in, in, in the country. And this was one of his favorite quotes. And so he would get up in front of a microphone and rant and pound and, and uh, uh, talk about the other political party and tell them the truth will set you free. If you'll tell the truth, the truth will set you free. Of course, when the table turned and it was his party that needed that that you know he he wasn't you couldn't find him he wasn't in front of the microphone for some reason you know so it seemed to be like a, a one-sided sort of standard that that fellow applied but 
So anyhow, uh, he actually didn't use it in the context that Jesus spoke of, but it is an enduring principle, isn't it? We come to a point in our maturity, don't we, where we recognize you need to tell the truth. If you'll just go ahead and tell the truth, and uh, uh, there may be some consequences to it, but you're, you're 100% better off being honest and telling the truth. We come to a point, you know, in our natural maturity where we, where we realize. Now, granted, some people, you know, don't really care beyond that, but, but most folks do. Most folks realize that. And so it is an enduring principle. It is true. It is true what that gentleman would say on the microphone. But uh, that's not the context. I want to read a few scriptures to you. 1 Corinthians 9.19 Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Freedom in Christ is what Jesus is speaking of. And it is, it is not a state to be abused, but rather it's a blessing to be used. You're not going to abuse it, you're going to use it. And to understand our identity uh, once we have accepted Christ, once, once we have obeyed Christ, once, once we... I, understand our true identity in Christ Jesus is to know that we were bought with a price and that, that we owe our devotion to the Almighty and to the Son of God who died for us. We are obligated to carry that saving message of freedom in Jesus Christ to everyone that we know and have contact with, all our fellow men. Uh, who, who, are, who are in bondage of sin. And we want to elaborate on that a little bit. Galatians 5.13, Paul wrote this, For you, brethren, have been called to liber- liberty. Only do not use liberty as the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul was free in Christ Jesus. Now, he was not free for selfish reasons, or for some selfish uh, end that he was trying to achieve. He was free to serve God. He was free to do the good that he did. He was free to sacrifice some of his rights and privileges in Christ Jesus in order that others could enjoy and and better understand the freedom in the gospel. The individual who, who truly appreciates and enjoys his freedom is going to cherish it. It's going to be of great value to him. And, and that person will want all others to know it. He will want to share it with all others. And he'll seek to share it with all others. The bondage and darkness of sin make the freedom of the saved even more glorious, even more valuable to us. Uh, and, and Paul's writing, he, he is willing to extend himself to any limit which is permitted one who is free in Christ Jesus. And to seek out people and to share it, seek to share it with others. Um, The bondage and the darkness of sin make the freedom of the saved all the more glorious. Now, are you free in Christ Jesus? 
Do, and, and do you appreciate that freedom? And, and do you forego some things provided you in Christ that others might have what you enjoy? To, to love the world, to be lost in sin, is, is to seek to free it from the clutches of sin's stronghold. Then there are those who believed on Him. And then there were others who simply just believed Him. There's a difference there. When, when one believes in Jesus, he, he is, he's taken an essential step towards this freedom that we're talking about. We talked about that back in John chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13. There's another absolute essential to abide in what Jesus states or authorized and that's to abide in His Word. It's, it's one thing to believe the truth that, that, that Jesus is indeed the, the Christ and the Son of God, and it's another thing to honor Him by abiding in His Word. To abide in His Word is to be sure of you being a genuine disciple of Christ. Simply believing it... Uh, is not all that you need to do. You've got to abide in it. And, 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 and I think one of the most observed statements that, that is permeating out through our culture today and making its way into the church is, is, is that man cannot know the truth. That there's not an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. And, and to affirm this, if, if, we, if we take that, that mindset of that there is not an absolute truth, that we cannot know the truth. We, we're making Christ a liar if we do that. To affirm that is to forgo our freedom. It's to give up our freedom in Christ. And, and he stated that freedom was contingent upon knowing the truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And, and so Jesus explains that in order to become disciples, that, that we have to abide in His Word. We have to live within His Word. We, we have to be completely obedient to His Word. And, and in order to be disciples, we have to know the truth. And, and knowing the truth frees us from the cares and concerns and all the, the things, the influences of the world because we're going to be in a better place after that. The truth sets us free. That's the truth that he's speaking of, not the truth that the congressman liked to use. He, you know, I don't. I wondered if that fellow even understood, you know, scripture. But anyway, back on track. True discipleship is not just simply professing his word. It is, there's an action there. There's an action in true discipleship of doing His will. It's, it's a way of life. And, and when one believes in Jesus, he's, he's taken that essential step in the direction away from sin. And another absolute essential is, to, is that we are to abide in what Jesus states or authorizes. That is, we are to abide in His Word. In His Word. It's, it's one thing to believe the truth, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. There's people that believe that. 
but they don't abide, they don't obey. It's another thing to honor Him by abiding in His Word. To abide in His Word is to be sure that we are a genuine disciple of Christ. Freedom from our sin really is only found in truth because through it alone can we, are, are, are we, that's where we're enabled to get our deliverance, to obtain our deliverance from the bondage of sin. And, and it would be an, an absurd statement, you know, to say that we can't, that we can't know the truth. If we believe that, uh, that, again, like I said earlier, we would be calling Christ a liar. Uh, if we believe that man could not know the truth, uh, we would be giving up our freedom in Christ. Um, biblical truth is built upon knowledge. He, he stated, he stated that freedom is contingent upon knowing the truth. And biblical truth is built upon knowledge. We can understand the truth through the study of Scripture. Ephesians 5.17 Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Without biblical knowledge, there can be no biblical faith. Without biblical knowledge, there can be no biblical faith. Truth, uh, which could not be known, can't free anyone. You know, let's, let's suppose that somebody arbitrarily deposited a million dollars into your bank account. Um, they really did that, but you didn't know it. You didn't know it, so could it be of value to you if you didn't know it was there? Once you learn it's there, then it becomes of value to you. So could I possibly convince anyone of the reality of that? Um, if, if I don't know that knowledge, if I don't have that knowledge. Biblical faith is built upon knowledge. Without biblical knowledge, there can be no biblical faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And so you can see the process. To believe on Him was to trust Him as a person. To believe Him was to simply accept His words as true. Without necess you know, necessarily submitting to his, to, his, to his will. Without faith, it's impossible to, to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Romans 10.17 So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Only faithful children of God are truly free being either neither in bondage to the world or to the flesh, to the devil, not to the devil, free also from an evil con you know, consciousness, free from the cares and anxieties of the world, and free from death itself. He's the way. He's the embodiment of truth in whom is no lie. God's truth, as opposed and contrasted to Satan's lie, is summed up in Christ. It is only as truth makes you free that you, man, becomes free.
Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, the Jew, you know, they traced their ancestry, of course, back to Abraham. And they regarded Abraham as their spiritual and natural father and, and of course, took great pride in that. Uh, They believed that alone assured them of salvation. And, And they denied they had even been in bondage in spirit, although, you know, they had been in bondage course, you know, so it's kind of almost comical that they would say what they say, but it was almost as if they were offended by Jesus' statement and their response to him. You know, when error has to defend itself, it becomes very revealing. Uh, Their statement of not having been in bondage there in verse 33 is irresponsible to be honest, they, they had been in bondage. They had been in bondage to the Babylonians, uh, the Persians, the Greeks, the Syrians. At that very moment, they were in bondage to the Romans. Uh, with, no ex, you know, with the exception of the bondage in Egypt, the bondage was related to their sin and to their disobedience to God. And so Jesus answers them by showing the enslavement, and then the eventual destruction of those who give in to the temptation of sin. The individual who sins loses his freedom and therefore becomes a slave or is in bondage. And the slave is temporal. The slave does not abide forever. The slave is not free. The slave cannot enjoy all of the blessings. They may may enjoy some blessings of a temporal nature, but never those held by the Son or the free man. Verse 34 through 38, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that I have seen with I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So um, sin is defined as the missing of a mark or the missing of the mark, um, a transgression, unrighteousness, impiety, uh, contempt. Uh, It's defined as violation of law, depravity. Uh, It's defined as desire for what is forbidden. The basic idea is that when you sin, you've missed the mark for for whatever you 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 were aiming for. Sin is like a powerful drug which you become enslaved to. And we look at our society today, our culture, we see all kinds of things that, you know, we relate to this, you know, all sorts of addictions out there, physical addictions, and some of them are very obvious in people, but until we are some, somehow we are, are set free from the power of sin, the guilt of sin is going to separate us from God. And everybody that sins 
are in bondage to it. Everyone who commits sins by their own will uh, gratifying their own lust and doing those sorts of things, they have made themselves a child of Satan. And this is the bondage of sin. Those in bondage of sin, they, they've been limited from having access to the house where the son has full access. He's free. The Jew may have had temporal blessings in Abraham, but on the other hand, when they committed sin, they were in bondage to it. And, and they needed more than the blood of Abraham to blot out that sin. Only the Son can make you free. Otherwise, all outside of the Son are in bondage. So they were thinking that they were going to you know, remain as God's people only because uh, of their cultural heritage. And that's all that they needed. That's what they thought. Our freedom in Christ, though, has to be, as I said earlier, a treasured possession. Freedom in Christ is a blessing that's used. It's not a blessing that's abused. It's used. And there can be no freedom without truth. In verse 36, Jesus stated, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What they were, would lose as Abraham's children could be gained by obedience to Christ, to the Son. And in disobedience to God, they had, they had lost their rights as a free nation over and over again. You know, it happened to them more than once. Only Jesus could do what needed to be done to free them from the bondage of sin. He alone could truly free them, set them free. Verses 37-38, Jesus rebukes them and, and He states they are not spiritual descendants of Abraham. Otherwise, they would not be seeking to kill Him. You know, they were following a course which, which Abraham himself you know, would not approve of. They, they were not of Abraham, either in, in descendant or, or as a descendant or disposition, in their disposition or, or in their spirit. And them being the physical seed of Abraham in and of itself was not sufficient before God. He, he goes to the very heart of their intent to kill him because my word has no place in you. One translation reads, My word has no free course in you. And he reduces the possibility of all religious messages to being from one of two sources. One, of course, being from the Father. The other being, of course, from the devil. One of two sources. And, and that's, you know, he identifies in verse 44, he identifies his words with those of the Father. We, we become children of God by heeding to his message. And, and all who refuse to heed to his message have no right to claim him as their spiritual father. He must have, he must have free course in us. So let's, let's, let me summarize this portion of our study. I'm going to try to move on and 
trying my best to get to the end of the chapter here. Freedom is a special blessing that, that many people do not appreciate or possess. Uh, it, it, religious freedom, as we enjoy it this morning right here in this place here, and many others do in other places this morning, uh, was, was not obtained without tremendous battles. So we're fortunate, aren't we, to have this religious freedom this morning. We're blessed to, to have it. To maintain freedom, we have to constantly and continually resist that that wants to return us back to bondage. Our freedom in Christ must be one of our, as I've already said multiple times this morning, one of our treasured, most treasured possessions. Freedom in Christ is a blessing that we use, that we don't abuse. And there's no freedom you know, without truth. How do we know the truth? Man, first of all, can know the truth, and the truth is in the Word. So knowing the Word will help us or cause us to know the truth. Um, to be free in Christ Jesus has very little to do with family ties. It doesn't have anything to do with family ties. Only the Son can make us free. All of us who are outside the Son are in bondage to sin. And the only one, ones who, who, claim, who can claim or may claim to be Abraham's qualified or spiritual children are the ones who have the obedient, truth-loving faith of Abraham. Um, to believe a lie would be to uphold that which is false and to oppose that which is true demonstrates that that uh, we're not God's children. Quickly, verses 39 through 40. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but you seek to kill me. A man who has told the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. So in verse 39 and 40, they seek to to soften the force of Jesus' words by affirming their connection back to Abraham. And he in no uncertain terms shows that they are not the spiritual children as we've already spoken about. They're not doing the deeds of Abraham. Verses 41-42, You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, You were not born of fornication. We have one Father. We, we were not born in fornication. We have one Father, God. Of course, they're, they're insulting Jesus there, you know, um, because of Mary. And um, once again, you know, showing their disdain for Christ and their lack of, you know, respect for Him. But in verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father... You would, love, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Not have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, 
you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And so in verse 41, they realize that Jesus is talking about the spiritual father. And they insult Jesus, like we said, by saying, we know who our father is, but you don't know who your father is. You know, and, and they're doing it from a physical standpoint uh, in that you know, lingering hometown prejudice sort of way about Mary being pregnant before the wedding. It's, it's just like our own town, I guess. People talk, you know. And they say things, they hurl things at people. And here they're hurling an insult at Jesus. In verse 42, Jesus says that if, if they came from the same Father as He, they'd love Him. And I've, you know, I've wondered when I've read that verse, how could that not pierce their heart right there? You know, he attributed their attitude toward him and their lack of love for him to the fact that they did not love God and they did not know God. You know, our, our actions and, and our words and our attitudes really reveal our spiritual parentage. Jesus showed them that, that you know, faith alone was not going to suffice. They... They had to profess to believe in Him and His Father, but their hearts were far from Him. Far from Jesus, far, far from His Father. They demonstrated by their actions that they're not children of the Father. They demonstrated that they're not His because they didn't love the Son. They had to love the Son in order to be free. And, and they proved their, their love for the Son by hearing His words and obeying His words. Their, their steadfast determination and intention to continue to believe a lie, and then their evil intent to, to murder Jesus, to kill Him, made them true children of the devil. And the arguments of Jesus and the way that... that he, he saw into their desires and their wishes as just additional evidence of His divinity. Uh, it shows the blindness and hardness of the Jews. Um, very quickly, uh, verses 48 through 59, I won't take time to read it. In these verses, Jesus... They tell Jesus that He doesn't belong. Uh, you know, they have at this point become angry with Him. And so now they, they just resort to filing, firing insults at him. Whatever comes to mind, firing what? Um, verse 56, Jesus made the statement, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they responded sharply, you know, back to him, Well, you know, you're, you're not even 50 years old. How, you know, how could you have seen Abraham? And then in verse 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. And that marks a timeless existence, an eternity. It shows the contrast 
between the temporary and the eternal. Um, it, it is a claim to be an eternal being. It's a, it's a clear declaration of his pre-fleshly state. Um, Exodus 3, 13-14, And Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. So Jesus, to sum up the chapter here, we'll turn, turn it over to Paul next week. He came for forgiveness, not for judgment. Uh, he often used obedience as a sifter. We saw that in this chapter. Uh, he's sifting his followers. He sifts believers through the principle of obedience. He's sifting you. He always tests His disciples. God's always putting us to the test to help us to grow our faith. Anyway, we've spent about three weeks on the chapter. Thank you through these three weeks for comments and your attention. And I will end there. Paul, I'll turn it over to you next week.